Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Today we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit and who the person of the Holy Spirit is as part of the triune God. We call that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we use some of the verses out of Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. So this is 50 days after Jesus' ascension and resurrection. This is uh, Pente, meaning 50. And Jesus now is um, promised to them in Acts chapter 1 that he's going to send the Spirit. And so this is the moment when that, that time comes and the Spirit arrives. And so uh, hear this word of Scripture. Uh, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us bow together for prayer. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. It was already an established festival within the Jewish tradition called Passover. Everybody would come back to Jerusalem from different places, and the Holy Spirit that God gives so infuses the people that one commentator says that what God did in Genesis to dispel the people of the Tower of Babel in various languages, the Holy Spirit comes and undoes that, and now the gospel can be proclaimed In the Greek, this is not the strange and undiscernible of utterances that requires someone to interpret, as Paul records in his epistles. This is the ability of the Holy Spirit to equip one for language to proclaim the gospel. Just listen to your text. Each heard in their own native tongue. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to equip us to be able to proclaim the gospel. The concept of the Spirit is used 261 times in Scripture. Now, now sometimes, as you saw in this 
call to worship, it's not specifically mentioning Holy Spirit. It'll say God's Spirit or Spirit of Truth or Spirit of Life. It's 56 times in the Gospels, uh, 57 times in um, the book of Acts, 112 times in Paul's epistles, and 36 times remaining in the New Testament. So 261 times in just the New Testament, the Spirit of God is referred to. Now, I want to do some practical things at the very beginning before we delve into this any deeper biblically. First, have you ever wondered why some folks call it the Holy Ghost and some folks call it the Holy Spirit? False, well, yep, yep. Notice that the Creed of Nicaea, written in 325 and then affirmed at Chalcedon in 381, did not say Holy Ghost, did it? Do you ever hear the Creed saying that? You don't. Because in 1600s, when you had the King James Version, the words and language of the Shakespearean influence is what took precedence in what's known as the King James Bible. And I do have a word to tell you. There was actually a text before the King James Bible. That's not the only authoritative source. Some people say, well, I believe in the words that Jesus said when he spoke the King James Version into place. Well, you're a little bit late to the game, and lots of texts circulated before that. But the idea of a ghost was a um, literally sort of a immaterial being. It's supposed to be sort of a spirit that references someone that's deceased. So when we talk about going deeper into the faith and understanding our language is important, the reason that that is insufficient and quite frankly wrong is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a person of the Trinity that pre-existed creation that's always been a part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not as if when Jesus died, the Holy Spirit showed up. And we're going to unpack that in a minute as well. We talk about it in terms of pneumatology. Uh, that's the whole concept. The reason you see in the Gloria Patri, the word Holy Ghost, is that when the Protestant Reformation shows up in the late, uh, late 1500s, what you've got is a liturgy that now becomes the work of the people. This whole thing that we do together, right, this read, respond, and sing, that's only been around for a little over 500 years, right? Some would say only 400. Prior to the 1600s, the priest, the pastor, would have everything. And you pagans out there that didn't know anything, just keep your mouth shut, confess your sin, and give your money. We know how to read, and we'll tell you what to read. So do you notice which way the Bible sits within our congregation? It faces the people. This is one of the most radical expressions that there is nothing that is between you and God's Word except the distance between where you are and the Scriptures. And so it's important for us to recognize the language we use is incredibly significant. So to that end, when we think about the Holy Spirit, first, a lot of times when we think about the Holy Spirit, we talk about it as a thing. I love the way that Timothy Keller uh, helps us to understand this. He says, most Christians go through life thinking of the Holy Spirit as a thing. And for example, they're a three-amp Christian, but God's only given them one amp. And so we, in some ways, say, God, I need some more ampage. Or we need to be filled up. And we have this concept that, God, I'm a one-gallon Christian, but you're pouring three gallons of spirit into me. So the first thing is, we're not talking about a thing. We're talking about a person of the Trinity. Second, many times our language betrays what we really mean. Have you ever heard anybody say, God, we invoke your Holy Spirit into this place, right? 
Holy Spirit, you are welcome here would be the better way to think about it. Because when we talk about invoking, what we're really talking about is not giving God permission to show up as if God needs permission to be here. It's about awaking our senses and our awareness of the Holy Spirit, which is already present. And so that phrase, that Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come fill this place and fill the atmosphere. It's not about saying, God, you have permission to be here. It's about God awaken me to your presence. Let me acknowledge who you are and that you're here. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit is real. We just had this sort of uncomfortableness talking about the Spirit. Historically, the Methodists were known as the enthusiasts because whenever the Holy Spirit would kind of move, people would actually stand up, raise their hands, and express, and sing, and participate. And that was known as enthusiasm. And you shouldn't be an enthusiast. Just sit there, keep your hands folded, and listen to what we say. Follow liturgy and don't do anything else. Well, I love the way one preacher says it. He prays every Sunday morning, God, would you be sure to show up so that something that's not in the bulletin or order of worship happens today in worship, right? We plan, we give God our best so that it prepares us to be in a place to hear that still small whisper of God. And we have it all the time. It's just that we are so averse to using language about the Holy Spirit, we say things like, well, I just had this gut feeling. If you ever said, well, someone's been on my mind. Oh, I just knew. And what we're doing is we're making everything about us. When we say those things, we make it all about us. When the reality is those are the ways that the Holy Spirit is moving and nudging. In the words of a walk to Emmaus, it says the Holy Spirit lures us. And it uses the imagery just like a fishing lure. God's drawing us. But when we think about what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Maybe that's the best place to begin. So let's do that together. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we see that God's Spirit hovered over the waters of chaos before creation. In the second verse of the Bible, the word hovered, it actually is the same word in the Hebrew that's used for like a dove that kind of hovers over and flutters its wings. Now you see the connection that when Jesus was baptized, there was a dove that descended, right? This fluttering, this hovering. So God's Spirit's present from the very beginning, and God's Spirit's purpose from the very beginning is hovering over the chaos of the waters when there was nothing. God's spiritual purpose is to bring order in life. And not just in order life to creation, but we can see in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, that God proclaims he will pour his spirit out on his sons and his daughters. So it's not just that God is going to bring an order to creation. It's that God's going to pour his spirit upon you and me as his people. You can even read in Psalm chapter 51, as the psalmist laments, it says, God, take not your face from me. Remove not your Holy Spirit from my presence. You see, the Holy Spirit is something that's real, it's tangible, it's God's way of connecting with us. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUNC. And your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work.
we can move to the New Testament. And what we hear in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 4, the Holy Spirit is on full display. As we see in verse 1, that the Holy Spirit fills Jesus. Verse 14, it drives him into the wilderness. In verse 18, he quotes Isaiah as he sits in his hometown and says, The Spirit of the Lord has appointed me. It's upon me. It's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and release the captives. And Jesus' hometown folk are so troubled by this that they march him out to the cliff. It's a cliff you can even see today. Now, you can't say Jesus stood exactly here, but at Nazareth, as you drive up to Nazareth, there's literally this large cliff face. And you can drive up there today and realize that. You see, the Holy Spirit is part of life, but it filled Jesus. It drove Jesus, and it was in his life. John 14 reminds us, as Jesus says, and we talked a little bit about this last week in the text, that Jesus promises the advocate the helper, the encourager, it's called the paraclete in the uh, Greek. It's, the, it's what Jesus promised the disciples will come. He says, a little longer I will not be with you, but I will send my spirit. God will send the advocate. God will send the helper. God will send the encourager. And the role of that Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, the text says very clearly, is to remind you of what I said in all truth. So the role of the Spirit is to bring order to help empower us, and to help remind us of what God is doing. And then we read as Luke, the author of Acts, tells us in the first chapter in the opening verses that Jesus is saying, disciples, go to Jerusalem and stay there till you are clothed with the Holy Spirit from on high. So the Holy Spirit's been active. It's an active part of life. It's something that God makes available to us. But, but how does it work in our lives? What's the practical application for how the Holy Spirit works? Well, we look to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we see that Paul says there is one Spirit, but many gifts. Now, a spiritual gift is about the gifts that are specific thing that God equips you to do. Gifts are about what you do in the body of Christ. And when you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will see that there are various types of gifts. Then as we move to Ephesians chapter 5, we hear that there are fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit is the way that God gives the Spirit to all. It's for everybody. But fruit is about how you live out your gifts. So the work of the Holy Spirit is both to equip you for a task and to tell you how to do it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the ways that we live out our gifts, right? So the Holy Spirit, I mean, this is not just sort of a, yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's just not the third part. It's not like the third child. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm the third child, right? You can always tell the first child in the family, right? I mean, you've got the duffel bag that's got three types of hand sanitizers. The, uh, the, the pacifiers are actually an enclosed hermeneutical NASA thing. Uh, they've got to wipe the top of every little bottle before anything happens. If anything drops, it has to be sanitized. They've got a UV little case or something. You get the third kid, the pacifier falls, and you go, boom. All right, that's me. I probably haven't had a worse case of COVID because I grew up eating dirt, right? The Holy Spirit's not just the third kid in the family. It's not the leftover. It's the integral part of who God is. 
And so if it's that true, then what is the purpose? Well, we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, it says really clearly, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to equip the saints of God for the work of the church. That's you. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, you've got a gift. You've got an ability. He says in Ephesians, this is how you ought to practice that with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and respect. Why? Because as we bring our gifts together, it's for the building up of the body of Christ and serving the world. You see, everything about the work of the Holy Spirit is about us recognizing God has gifted us and made available to us the resource, the power, and the strength to live life. So that when we come to those moments that think that we believe are impossible, God makes possible. Listen to the way that N.T. Wright says it. The wind and the fire and the brooding bird are given. And so the wind would be the ruach of the Hebrew, which is breath or wind. The fire would be any place that you see what's called a theophany. God's Holy Spirit is represented in a fire. Moses was spoken to God by a what bush? A flooding bush? A pretty bush, a burning bush, the represent of the fire. What does the Holy Spirit represent in Acts chapter 2? Tongues of fire resting upon people. The brooding bird is a reference to the hovering aspect of God's Spirit. So, so then to enable God's people, to enable God's people to be God's people. This has a surprising and dramatic effect. The Spirit is given so that we, ordinary mortals that we are, can ourselves be in a measure what Jesus himself was, part of God's future arriving in the present, a place where heaven and earth meet, the means of God's kingdom going forwards. The Spirit is given, in fact, so that the church can share in the life and continuing work of Jesus himself. You ever thought about that? That the work of that Spirit is that you are joined in the very work of Christ in the world. And I wish they could just say, amen, uh, let's sing a song and let's move on. But we need to recognize that when we fail to respond to the movement of God's Holy Spirit, when we fail, God will not stop reaching toward us and giving us opportunity. But there is a part at which we need to recognize that when we fail, to respond to what God's call is in Scripture, we wound God's heart. Listen to how Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. How we grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The word grieve in the Greek means to make sorry. Don't wound the heart of God with whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. In other words, the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. Don't wound God's Spirit. How do we do that? Well, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. You see, we actually can wound God's heart when we fail to respond. Think about it this way. Who we are as God's creation reflects who God is. So in our human relationships, when we fail to follow through on our commitments, when we fail to be present for those who we've said we'd be present for, 
there is a consequence in its wounding, its hurting, its a brokenness of relationship. God's always going to be reaching toward us in the Holy Spirit. God's always going to be doing that. The question is, how will we respond? I love the old story I heard years ago, and I don't know where it came from, about a man in a smaller town, and back in the day, they used to have this thing called revivals. Remember them? And the Baptists would have a revival, the Methodists would have a revival, and they all get together at the ministerial lines to make sure they spread them out through the year. And there's a gentleman in town that went to every revival at every church, from the Nazarenes to the Pentecostals to the Methodists to the Baptists. He made the rounds, and at every one of those, he would come down at the altar call. And he just raised it, fill me, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You know, and the evangelists would get all excited because someone came down front and go pray for him and introduce this brother back to the community. And after the evangelist left and the service was over, he went back to his rotten ways every single time. Finally comes to the Methodist church. Come on down if you want to be in a relationship with God. And a man comes down, and the evangelists get all whipped up, you know, and the guy is standing in front of the evangelist as the hymn comes to a close. He says, oh, fill me, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And one of the beautiful old members said from the back, don't do it, God, he leaks. <laughs> do we honestly have a place in our life and heart for God just to fill us. I promise you, every one of us is going to need a filling again and again and again by the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's this beautiful prayer in what's called the walk to Emmaus that says, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. It's not giving permission to God's Spirit to come. It's saying, God, we want to be open vessels. We want to be here. And let me tell you, friends, when that happens, you do crazy things in the eyes of the world when you make space in your heart for God's Holy Spirit to move. You see, friends, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We baptize and we pray in the name of the Holy Spirit. It's that same Spirit that hovered over the deep of nothingness in creation. It's the same Spirit that inspired and fueled prophets, matriarchs, and patriarchs of the faith. It was the same Spirit that went ahead of God's people in struggles and deliverance. It's the same Spirit that overshadowed Mary and guided Joseph. It's that same Spirit that overwhelmed John the Baptist and gave language to the people that Jesus is coming. Prepare your hearts and repent. The same spirit that lived in Jesus and as Romans chapter 8 proclaims, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. Lives in you. Doesn't pass you by. Doesn't say good luck. Doesn't occasionally say, go get him, Alan. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's got to be a difference maker for us, church. That's got to make us willing to do something that we wouldn't ordinarily do. That's my ask of you. That's my simple ask for you today. Will you this week be open to the Holy Spirit and consider doing something that you have otherwise used all your energies to say, God, you've got the wrong email, the wrong number, and no, I don't need an extended car warranty. Don't call again. You've already arrived at saying, God, I'm not going to. If there is a thread of joy that can be found in the community of faith, it's any place one person is willing to go to a new place where they otherwise would not have gone on their own abilities, and they can't really tell you why. 
But in the old church, you know what they'd say? They fall under conviction of the Holy Spirit. It means they know God's speaking. And what we end up doing is we end up trying to do everything else. And then finally, finally we just sort of do what? We just sort of surrender. Have you picked up the theme today? In worship? From the melody of building your life? Go look up the lyrics to build my life. To recognizing that this life is not our ending, resting place. We're just passing through. To recognize that the power of the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you. Friends, I hope you see that. And I dare you. I dare you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, just to listen and make room and see what God does. Because the grace that saves freely is the same one in Christ who forgives abundantly, is the same one in the Holy Spirit that fills completely. In my office, I have a large uh, filing cabinet of my late grandfather's illustrations. There's over 2,000 of them that are card cataloged. Like, and you younger kids have no clue about this. You go in and you use your phone. You don't have any clue what it was like to have to go to the card catalog in the Dewey Decimal System. And can I get a name in from somebody? Yeah, you Google up stuff sitting in your recliner for a paper you've got to have. We used a thing called a pencil and it didn't need a battery. You had to go to the card cat. Do y'all remember that? What an exhaustive process. My granddad, card cataloged. He was Scottish and left-handed, anal retentive in his pictures right next to that in the dictionary, by the way, George H. Palmer. He had an old typewriter manual and sometimes he would type them in he would cut things out and so occasionally what I'll do is I'll go to the old card catalog file and I'll look to see what was happening in his ministry in life in the 1940s 50s and 60s he extended ministry all the way into the 70s and I found this that he that he highlighted in a devotional that just seemed to be so clear it's words by Charles H Mercer and I have no clue who Charles H Mercer is but this is what he said As Christians, we may be surprised at the way the Holy Spirit sometimes works. But are we surprised that he works? We may be amazed at what he tells us to do and be mystified as to why we should be chosen. But his presence is not a mystery. Let's pray together. God, we stand amazed today that you would choose us. Um, Every one of us, when we really consider uh, our abilities and gifts, we tend to start by telling you all the reasons we can't do that or we shouldn't do that when the reality is, God, we need to remember that you don't wait for us to be equipped before you call us. It is in the calling and the responding that you equip us where you call us. So would you help us this week as we make time and space in the busyness of our schedules to listen for that still, small voice of your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to hear the leadership of your Holy Spirit in our lives? Would you help us to receive with joy the challenge that you are bringing us? And would you give us the courage to go wherever you lead? For this we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen.